The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. A little bit stronger, straighter than you normally would. Perhaps rocking slightly back and forth, sideways. And as you do so, to feel the contact of your body against the chair, and your cushion, the floor. And then as you come into stillness, feel the contact of your body against the chair or the cushion, the floor as if it's a place to be rooted, as if it provides you a solid base of support. If you're sitting on the floor, a wide support. Rising up out of the base, you have your torso, straight, upright. Give some a little bit of attention to your spine, perhaps slowly traveling, letting your attention travel up your vertebrae one at a time from the bottom. And see if you can create a good foundation where each vertebrae supports the one above. Maybe small adjustments in your spine. So the weight of your body is centered on the vertebrae. body has a three-dimensional aspect to it. As you then take a few long, slow, deep breaths and feel a three-dimensionality of how your torso expands, your ribcage expands, the substance of your body. Let it expand, back ribcage, side ribcage, front, belly. You feel the solidity of your body, the stuff of body. Taking deep breaths in and then as you breathe out, see if you can relax and let go. Soften any places of extra holding in your body. Perhaps it's possible to soften the belly. Perhaps the chest and the shoulders. As you breathe in and out, maybe you can soften around your shoulder blades.
or a softening around the face, the neck. Letting your breath breathe itself naturally, easy breath. Become aware of your body in as, a, as globally as is easy, the widest easy way of feeling your body. From the top of your head to the tip of your toes, from the back to the front. Feeling the substance of body, the three-dimensionality of it, the solidity of it. Feel the support, the uprightness the balance of rest and effort to stay upright. Balance of relaxing with gravity and overcoming the force of gravity to be upright. tightening up or getting stiff. Tune in to the stillness of the body. Tune into that part of the body that's relatively still. You're not moving. The hands are not moving. legs, compared to normal daily activity, your body is relatively still. There is stillness and then Right next to the stillness, there might be movement, the movement of breathing through the body or subtle vibration or swaying or pulsing. Notice the stillness, notice the movement of your body. Notice if you're holding anything you are, see if you can release it, relax.
then within this body as part of the body, be aware of the body breathing. Be aware of the rib cage moving, the diaphragm, the belly. Be aware of the rhythm, oscillation, expansion and contraction. If you are kneading dough for bread, you're working the dough. If you are polishing a brass bowl, you're kind of working the edges of it with the cloth. Or if you have a cramp in your foot, you're gently moving to work out the cramp. As you stay with your breathing in your body, let that experience of breathing be the way that your vehicle through which you're working into your body, working with your body, getting into your body, feeling your breath, feeling your body, feeling those, both the movement and the stillness. Settling in more to the stability of the body, the stillness that's there. As you work the breathing, as you work with the body, see if you can find a place inside that feels satisfyingly still or stable. Perhaps a place inside that's the base, almost like it supports everything else or 
maybe a place where everything else seems to come back to, or a place that's the center of it all. See if you can find some place inside which feels still and stable, centered. And as you're with your breathing, let the breathing help you come back to that place. Stay with it, breathe with it, work it, settle. And as you breathe in and out, staying with the rhythm, staying in your body, working it, see if you can notice or include whatever sense of stillness there is in the mind. Even if your mind is thinking or spinning a little bit, it's okay, let it that to be on the side. And notice what is still centered, peaceful in your mind. Not stiff, not held still, but a soft stillness in the mind and awareness. breathe, perhaps you can work that inner stillness, need it, support it, appreciate it. Let it become a little bit more noticeable. Stillness of the body, the stillness of the mind. 
then from whatever, whatever sense of stillness you have, to whatever centered or stability you have, What other ways, subtle or big, that you lose your equanimity, that you get involved in being reactive or caught by something or involved for and against something? not to think about it or react to it. Stay with the breath, stay working with the inner life. But notice the contrast between being relaxed and still and being involved and caught, active, actively involved, engaged. Notice, if you can, the interface between being involved and caught and reactive and not being so, being still and open and relaxed. Perhaps both can exist side by side at times. So in whatever way that you are now, checking in with yourself, whatever way you are, whatever way you're feeling or the way your mind is or your body, from the vantage point of how you are now, what might this teach you? What might you learn about equanimity? 
What is this right now I have to teach you about being balanced, non-reactive? What does it teach you about you, you specifically, and how you operate, how your mind functions, how you are in the world? from the vantage point of how you are now. If you look out over your life and how you live your life primarily in daily life, how you are in life, what might now instruct you or say to you about equanimity, your relationship to equanimity, your centeredness, your relationship to being centered, balanced, What comes up for you as I bring these reflections into the room? to end the sitting, you can take a few long, slow, deep breaths again. Feel your body, maybe from the inside. Feel your contact with your chair and cushion the floor. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. As a factor of mind, a quality of mind, kind of an activity of the mind. So it's not a philosophy or beliefs that you, that you carry with you, but rather it's an inner quality. Like you can be calm, it's an inner quality, or you can be agitated, inner quality. So equanimity is an inner quality. Some people, the, the word equanimity, concept equanimity doesn't quite kind of work in their vocabulary, but maybe being centered being balanced, being non-reactive, 
perhaps works better as near synonyms. But one way or other, I think, you know, what we're, what we're doing here today is exploring this topic of equanimity with the idea that it's something useful. It's a useful quality, it's a useful approach to life, it's a useful thing to explore. And so I'm interested in, in uh, how is it useful for you? What are the lessons for you in equanimity? And how does, what does it teach you about your life? And so that was kind of the, the questions near the end of that sitting was, um, um, you know, from the how you were the here and now. Some of you might have been calm, some of you might have been agitated. Either way, <laughs> uh, what, is, what is how you are now uh, teach you about equanimity, your relationship to equanimity? What, is, what lessons of equanimity uh, or your lack of equanimity come from how you are now? So that was kind of the question, more or less. Um, it's not meant to be an exact question with an exact answer. It's meant to be kind of questions that kind of get you into some general territory where you can explore and reflect on something. So don't worry if you understand the question exactly well or not. But what I'd like you to do, if you're willing, is to um, find it, pair up with someone else and share um, what, you, what you feel like sharing. You don't have to be full confessions, <laughs> but what you feel comfortable sharing about what reflections came up for you, what that meditation was like, especially at the end when we, I asked those questions about what can you learn from about equanimity and your relationship to equanimity and what is your relationship to equanimity and from that meditation, that's whatever was going on for you by the end. Um, or something like that. So it could, or it could just be as simple as what is your relationship to equanimity in general um, in your life. Uh, so it's, uh, hopefully you can find yourself and you don't have to compare yourself to the other person who's talking you're with. Uh, each person can have, is very free to, it's a very free, open exploration. You can pick up that question, um, you know, in a personal way. It might be different from the person you're with. And, um, and what I thought that um, the, way, the way to do these is that um, one person is the person who speaks first, and the other one person is primarily the listener. You don't, have to only, you don't have to only listen silently. You can engage a little bit. You can ask some questions. You can make some very, very brief kind of comments of understanding or, you know, but you don't, you know, this is really a time for the speaker to speak. And so you're there to support that and to be a listener mostly as they talk about what came up for them. And, um, and then I do that for about 10 minutes. I'll ring a bell and then uh, you'll switch roles. And then, then it's a, a chance for this listener to talk about what came up for them in the meditation, their relationship to equanimity. And again, the, the new listener can have some very modest speak, you know, ask questions or, you know, just ask for clarification or express appreciation or whatever. It's very simple. But I mean, again, the balance is, you know, heavily weighted, heavily weighted that the speaking, come, speaking is the person who's speaking. Make sense? So, uh, I don't know if we're an odd... I get accused of being dispassionate. And whenever I hear that, I, I, I sometimes do react because I know that uh, I, I do feel 
the suffering of other people. I, I do feel uh, their pain. I do try to combine equanimity with, with the compassion practice and the uh, uh, loving kindness practice. Um, the example I, I, I said, well, it's really more connected dispassion, where you, you, you're dispassionate, but still connected to everything around you and still fully aware of, of all that's around you. And, and, and therefore, you do feel the suffering of other people um, as though it's happening to you. Um, so, uh, although you may had not be sort of uh, emotional in the same sense, where you're always going up and down sort of in, in wide ranges, uh, I don't know if that really makes you dispassionate. And so I, I have this, this ongoing debate sometimes with people. And sometimes it comes up in relationships where, people, oh, you're not emotional enough. Oh, you're not, uh, you know, sort of like... And uh, uh, I don't, sometimes don't know how to respond because I, I, I like myself and I, I do know that I'm, I'm, I'm connecting uh, with other people, but sometimes it may not show the way it does with, with other people that great, may be more great, more great, great, great concern. Uh, thank you. If, if I may, if I may say, should I say a few things? Or sure. Somebody? So the, um, I mean, first, you know, it's, it's, I think it's relatively obvious that... Um, People experience their emotions differently from between people. Some people are, you know, from you know, are from southern climates and <laughs> whatever that is. I don't know where the southern is, and some are more northern climates, and you know, they're a different kind of way, whatever way that is. Uh, some people, you know, whoever the, because of their physiology, who knows why? Uh, some people. Um, the emotions course through them much more actively, some people more quietly. Um, I don't think, you know, there's just different ways, and we should be very careful not to judge one way is better than the other. We have different ways of li- living our emotions. And so, um, I think that's important. And, um, and I have a lot of faith, if a person's practicing mindfulness, that whatever needs to be, if there needs to be some kind of corrective, uh, the mindfulness will correct it with due time. And you don't have to worry about it too much. So if a person is not in touch with their emotions so much, practice mindfulness, and you, you'll you'll get in touch <laughs> in your own in the in, in in the right time. You know, you don't have to push it to wait. You know, just wait patiently. And if you're too much in touch with your emotions, you know, it's just too emotional in some ways, indulging, engaged, lost, swimming, drowning in them. <laughs> then don't worry about it. Practice mindfulness, <laughs> and uh, you'll you'll come to more balance with it all for sure. Um, so, you know, you're practicing mindfulness, I suppose, you're here, I suppose, so, so I wouldn't worry about it, you know. But what's in- interesting is that, uh, what's most interesting is what you said to me, is that you feel like you're connected well with people, you feel connected in a heartfelt way to their suffering, their, what's going on, but other people don't feel it from you. So you don't have to be any different, your, your ability to feel emotions is just fine, um, but something is not being communicated. And so, um, without you t- needing to change how you f- what your emotional life is like, perhaps there's a vocabulary of communication that you could learn, that um, so that people um, may, it might just simply mean saying some words. So, for example, um, um, it's possible that my kids at home are extremely grateful for all the breakfasts I make and all the. <laughs> All, all the, all the, you know, all the laundries I make. It's, 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 it's possible. 
But, uh, you know, if they would say, you know, once a year or something, (laughs) if they would say, thank you, then I would know it. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, is there there something you could say that uh, belongs to the, kind of, the vocabulary of your people, that you're, your friends, you're connected, that would actually indicate to them, yeah, you, you, you know, you understand. You, you're connected in some way. And um, so that's what occurs to me. And um, not that you have to cry when they're crying or, <laughs> you, know, be, you know, be angry when they're angry. Some people, you know, if you don't worry, they don't feel like you're connected. And so, you know, so that maybe they, they're the ones who have the issue. But still, if the, you know, if you could still say, well, you know, um, you could, you know, I under, I hear you. I'm concerned for you, and and um, you don't say, I'm not worried, but you, you know, you say, I'm concerned. I hear you. Know, speak back. So that's that's my suggestion to you. Yes. So I'll concur with the like you know the emotional part that with mindfulness it'll help bring it into balance, for me, has helped. Um, so I'll, I do concur with that part. Now, the question I have is, with mindfulness and equanimity, um, I've become a lot more aware of when I'm not being equanimous. <laughs> but that doesn't always translate to equanimity, even though I'm aware of it. Yes. So that's my challenge currently, with you know, certain situations in my life that you know, would bring that into focus. At least I'm a lot more aware of it now. Mm-hmm. I'm still struggling with the equanimity part. Yeah, so maybe, maybe, I mean, you, you can be ahead of yourself. Maybe equanimity, it's nice to be equanimous, but if you hold too much as an ideal, uh, you, can, you can end up struggling too much. Sometimes the best you can do is uh, uh, keep your mouth closed. <laughs> and that's success. <laughs> You know, that the fact that you didn't, you know, lash out and say something or, or, the, or the most successful, because you know you don't have much equanimity going, that you're agitated or something, um, that's a really important information. And the way it translates is not to be practicing equanimity and be kind and soft and gentle and all these nice things, but it means, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I need to get out of here so I can breathe and kind of you know, get my bearings again. And um, so sometimes this, the mindfulness teaches us that forbearance or stopping or not doing is the wisest thing to do and uh, because nothing else is going to be pretty and that's wise that's wise and you'd be, you'd be very you'd be very happy if you have that capacity to go to the bathroom no one needs to know what you're doing in the bathroom no no one you, people usually don't ask i need to go to the bathroom people usually don't ask <laughs> and so i really have to go to the bathroom <laughs> Please go. You know, don't, people don't stop you. And, and while you have to go, as you go to breathe. <laughs> yes. I don't need a microphone. No, it's for the people who, who have hearing system devices and other things. Okay. Just a couple words. Evan and I were talking, and a couple. You know, I think the theme that rose up was that equanimity as we were talking about it, is not something that just is or isn't or shows up or doesn't. It's something active. It's a practice. It's a skill that we're developing. So it's, it's not a passive thing. Um, yes and no. 
I think that it is active. It's a, as a practice, it's a practice of equanimity. So sometimes we decide, you know, I'm going to practice, I'm going to work on being non-reactive here. And this is a challenging situation. The leaf blowers are blowing. And I'm going to see what I can do to breathe with that and center myself, let go, and just be with it and be okay with it. So it's an active practice. But other times, uh, it's, I don't know if passive is the right word, but sometimes it's just a quality that's there that's really strong and palpable, actually. And um, it's just, maybe a better analogy would be, or example would be uh, calm. You can work on staying calm when you're agitated, or you can actually be calm, and you can be really calm, and you can go into a situation that normally would have really triggered you, but you really feel you're calm, and, and so it's a little bit more passive in your language. And so equanimity is the same way. And equanimity sometimes is actually a very strong emotional state almost. And when it's, uh, when it's really strong, it's one of the most sublime and beautiful states a person can experience. It's a really beautiful thing. If I may, um, is it okay? Can you hear? Yeah. Okay. Um, yes, I've experienced that on longer retreats. And, and that's, to me, otherworldly in a sense. M- what I was thinking of, or what was ex- I was experiencing this morning during the leaf blowers, for me, and not to disagree, but with what you said, but for me to say, "Oh, be calm, be calm, be calm," you know, forget about it. Like, I learned forty some odd years ago that that never works for me. Right. I'm sorry, excuse me. But what I'm learning now is to see ah, irritation first, maybe sound, you know, unpleasant, and then irritation, irritation, and I noticed my back was sort of tight. Um, so for me, in a sense, that's the practice. Of it, that's what I was trying to imply. Great. Rather than, you know, be calm. That's great. That's great. That's It's really great that you know yourself and know how it works and what works best for you. And I think someone else could find that what works for them, they can actually calm themselves down. And sometimes that's a, a, a quicker route. Sometimes it's a more dangerous route. You know, it depends on the circumstance, the person, and the impact. But some people find that it's actually dangerous to try to calm themselves artificially or calm themselves and not really address the irritation, not really address the issue that's going on. And sometimes um, uh, it does work to calm down and um, you're, giving, you're going to give an important speech and so, you know, you've got to, you've got to be up there on stage and some people, you know, go do five minutes of breathing and breathe really deeply and just breathe with the agitation let it settle out and that works for them. So there's many different ways. So this one is really great, and each person's going to find their own way with this. So, so straight back there, I saw your hand before. And then let's share. Yeah, you, if you can. First of all, I wanted to thank you for this teaching because it's really a great gift for me. I'm here for a few weeks from New Hampshire, and I'm going out to Hawaii to bring my 91-year-old mother with dementia back that I'm going to take care of for the rest of her life. So it's a bit like the sky crashing down in pieces day by day. And with the intention of equanimity, um, for my sake and for her sake, um, it's really the best teaching I could have right now. Yes, yes. So we'll explore it some more in the, this whole topic today. So, so, so hopefully it'll be more helpful as we go along here. So maybe one or two, maybe a couple of more. I saw hands here, and then I want to do another thing. Hi. 
Uh, I do want to thank you. That was a really powerful guided meditation for me. And yeah. the, maybe the clinging part of me wants to know, was it recorded? Can I get a <laughs> podcast of it? <laughs> um, but one of the things that, was, that I noticed for myself was that when I've um, typically in my practice, that I, when I'm paying attention to or, or having an intention to quiet my mind or to create uh, the to cultivate feelings like metta or, or some of the other Brahma Viharas that it's really hard and your instruction to pay attention to to what's still in my body and what's moving that that grounded me and um, concentrated me in a way that then I noticed that my mind was much more quiet and mm. that I actually had these feelings come up that I didn't, that I wasn't intending to necessarily, but that, so stillness rather than quieting, or uh -huh. somehow that just felt really powerful and much easier for me. Beautiful, so. wonderful. Okay, thank you. So I saw another one more, and then we'll... Um, so my partner and I talked a little bit about the, one of the things that you shared that was really powerful was the, can the equanimity be there with whatever else is arising? Can they be side by side? And as people were sharing, I was thinking, um, you know, because I sometimes I struggle with anxiety, which feels very tight and constricted, which was, you know, sort of the opposite feeling of the expansive equanimity. And, you know, my partner asked a very good question of if those could, what would that feel like if they were side by side? And as I was reflecting more, I was thinking, you know, the Brahma Viharas are innate qualities. They're innate qualities of the heart. They're really not something we have to get. They're already here. And for myself, it would be so helpful in those moments where I'm not feeling equanimous to remember actually, oh, it's always here. It's just a matter of letting it arise or letting yeah. it be present with whatever I'm feeling. Uh -huh. It's not something that I've lost or that I'm lacking yeah. or that I have to go get. It's always just right here. Very nice. So. And so, you know, in part of the, the, the practice, you know, the day like today, exploring the topic, the practice of something like equanimity uh, makes us more familiar with it. And as we become more familiar with it, it becomes easier to identify it or tap into it or evoke it or whatever the language might be. And, um, and then one, one reflection of what you said is that um, I think it's often helpful to realize that we're multifaceted at the same time. We're not, we're not just like one thing going on at one time. There, there's there's multi, multifaceted, but sometimes the mind will select one part of our human experience as being the part that's important. You know, like, you know, if someone gets you angry, you know that that's the world that's the universe the you know anger but actually there's other things going on you know you, you, a little bit then be kind of receded from attention but they're not too far away and so sometimes by opening up the field to include more of the uh, we're not going to be locked in on any particular one okay so um, so I'd like to do one more round of discussion before lunch and that is um, and, and that what, my suggestion now is that um, maybe groups of five are good. And um, now I've noticed, in, not in recent years, but I just, maybe it's worth saying, that not everyone who comes here uh, remembers how to count. <laughs> so it goes one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> and... Um, so see, let's see if we can do groups of five, and, and then again, if, if, there's, if, if there's not a group of five, then uh, if you're, you're, you're not finding yourself in group of five, walk towards the front, and then you know, we'll hopefully figure out. And then if there's some number short of five, 
then I will do something. But wait, before we start, start let me explain what we're, we're going to do. So in your group of five, um, can you just go around the circle and um, share something from your life, uh, some example from your life, some situation from your life, something, something from your life, some way or other, of uh, what you have learned in your long life experience about equanimity or, or balance or being centered or being non-reactive. And don't let it be a long story um, because, you know, you don't have much time. But uh, try to make it somewhat concise. And, and part of the advantage of making it somewhat short and concise is that then maybe you can actually do a few different rounds around. And it might be that as you hear other people, that might remind you of, thing. oh yeah, there's something else about you've learned or you've known. And, um, and um, you know, and if you're really stretched for answering, you can answer, you know, maybe mostly what you've learned is how not to be equanimous. <laughs> you've learned about how that works, you know, so that maybe it gives you more material if you can. But what have you learned about equanimity? Um, what are the lessons of equanimity you've had in your life? And, and uh, it could also be lessons you've received from other people, you know, with the teachings you've gotten or something. But does it make sense? So, uh, one, two, three, four, five. Yes? How long? Yeah, how long? How long? Until, I, until the bell rings. So any, any comments about that or reports about that, what that was like? Or, so right, behind, right behind you, Smita. Um, so I had a... Um, well, I, I, I've always um, thought about equanimity being okay with this circumstance and that circumstance, and if this happens and I don't like it, that that's okay. Or And um, this conversation um, that we just had had me thinking that sometimes the event uh, that I need to be equanimous with is not what's outside, but what's inside, uh, uh, as well as with what's going on outside. Um, in other words, if I'm angry, um, to know I'm angry, and instead of being upset that I'm angry because uh, the circumstance isn't any good, um, to be okay with my own anger. Mm. Um, uh, and well, it sounds, that sounds profound for you. Yeah. Sounds good. Really good. And. Um, so I, I don't, I don't want, it's really great to, to now have this ability or this interest, this perspective not to go in and, and learn how to be accepting or be okay with what's there. It's, it's very helpful in life to do that. And I wanted to add that 
that being equanimous doesn't mean that we say things are okay. Uh, things can be completely not okay, and I'm not going to accept it, and I'm going to be equanimous, and I'm going to ch- and I'm going to change it <laughs> equanimously. <laughs> So equanimity doesn't mean, you know, that we don't, we, we, you know, that we really just let things be necessarily. Yes, but we, we, if, we're gonna, if we are going to engage in, to change something, we do it without the mind being caught in a reactive way. So, so I think someone else. Any other comments? Sometimes things do need to get done. So yeah, so yeah, so the question is, you know, what? Some to go into a little bit more what I just said, and sometimes things have to be done. You know, uh, I remember when my little my kids were small, and um, you know, and they were wearing diapers, and the diapers needed to be changed. And sometimes we had these kind of explosive events for the diapers. <laughs> you know, somehow the diapers didn't quite work well enough. No, it's okay. I'll accept that. That'll be equanimous. Nothing needs to happen. Or, you know, your kid is having a temper tantrum in Safeway. You know, you've done all the best, brilliant parenting you could possibly do. You're parenting genius. And even so, they're having a temper tantrum in Safeway, and all the other people in the aisles are looking at you, <laughs> wondering if they should send you to prote- Child Protective Services <laughs> because of how they're kids screaming because they didn't get the candy that they wanted, you know, ice cream or something. And now I want it now. So, so something, something, you know, these various situations, things have to happen. Now I can get caught by it. I can get reactive to it. I can, oh, these people are judging me, and this is a disaster. This is an embarrassment. You know, I'm a parenting disaster, and uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, or you can run away, or you can, you can react to all kinds of things, or you can get angry. I can get angry, you know, all kinds of things, or I can be equanimous and say, well, you know. Kids are a different species. I don't necessarily. Un- <laughs> I, I don't necessarily understand, you know, why, you know, but certainly they, they're easily frustrated, and and probably the most useful thing I can do for them is not to be reactive to it, and um, and so I'll do my best, and but I, I'm not going to get worried. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to get anxious. I'm not going to use this as another reason to judge myself as who I am as a parent and concerned about what people are thinking about me. Um, I'm going to be equanimous, I'm going to be balanced, I'm going to be non-reactive in this mode. And I, I still need to change the diaper, I still need to, you know, deal with this screaming child and to figure out what to do, what's the best thing to do, given the circumstance. Maybe it's to inj- ignore, sometimes it's wise ignoring. Maybe I need to go find some food for the kid that is hungry, or maybe there's no, maybe we can't just be here and Safeway doesn't work anymore, we have to go out, or who knows. But, you could do it in a simple, you know, you have to, you have to do something. And how, how, what's the state of your mind as you do it? Are you contracted or tight? Um, 
or are you balanced around it? What are the beliefs that you've kind of latched onto as being, you know, you, that gets you caught? And are they necessary to be caught in those beliefs? And, um, who, and who, through whose eyes are you looking at it? Are you looking through your own eyes as a parent or through all the other shoppers at Safeway and, what their, and, and their judgments of you? And, you know, and who's, whose eyes are important? You know, what, who's, who do you take into account? So that's what occurs to me is flesh, flesh it out. Is that flesh it out a little bit more? Or you want to... Is that okay? Or you want to, you want to ask more? Or? <laughs> you have something more... Since it, since, it, since it was important for you, the question I felt, do you have something a little more focused that's more personal that you want to ask, ask it in a way? Yeah, I do actually. Is this on? Yeah. Um, it's it's a really tricky situation when. Um, well, I'll get really personal. I feel like I'm kind of redundant today. It's all I'm talking about. But I have a younger sister that's dying of cancer, and she probably will live a couple more months, and she's um, in denial of a lot of things about it, and. She doesn't live. She lives in Colorado, and I'm gonna go see her soon. And I just, I've, um, she needs more care, and she's resisting care, and she's on a lot of meds, and it's just not safe. And I feel like the the doctor says, well, you know, um, she'll ask for palliative care when she wants it, and everyone has this lax attitude about it. And I, I, I just last night thought, you know, I'm gonna go there, and I'm gonna get her more care, and I'm gonna be more proactive, and. Uh, so that's where I feel like this, you know, am I overreacting or am I being equanimous? I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know either. Um, I think when someone is suffering like that, it's natural to want to try to be helpful and supportive. A sister is dying. It's natural to want to do something to be helpful and to uh, the situation. But this is where equanimity needs to be coupled with a lot of wisdom. And uh, where you understand the situation is then your sister well enough. Because a lot of caring people have inserted themselves in, in what seems like the obvious thing to do and to help someone and cause more harm than good. Um, partly because the other person maybe has a whole different view of life than what your view is. They might be in denial. And who knows why they're in denial? I think we have to have a lot of respect for denial. And uh, because if you get them undenied, it might actually make things worse. And uh, they, no, they don't have the resources, the capacity to deal with the full information. And, um, and uh, so it takes a lot of wisdom in a situation like that to go there. And, and so this is where being equanimous is helpful, not because, because you, if, you're, if you're some equanimity or some balance or some centeredness, uh, then you're not going to be pushed by your beliefs. You're not going to be pushed by your attachments, by your emotions. And into action because you don't want, you never want to be pushed by your inner kind of things and so you might still have all those feelings but you don't they don't push you and so then uh, you come to the situation you, you have your concerns you have your things that are important for you it's what you you have a plan maybe even but the first thing you do when you get there is you practice not knowing mind you practice you know this is a new situation I don't know what's going on it's big let me find out, but let me, let me learn about the situation first. Let me find out how my sister is. Let me just check in with everybody. And let me get, let, let me, maybe it'll take a few days. 
of just gathering information, getting a sense of the lay, layout, lay, land. And then you maybe have the wisdom after a while to know uh, where you can make a difference. Um, and uh, and maybe, maybe the difference you make, you'll be like this Aikido master who, you know, who you just kind of, it's indirect, you know, that you find a way to make a difference. Or, or sometimes you have to be very direct. Sometimes maybe you sit down with someone and give them the news that they're refusing to hear. There's so many different ways, you know, so there's no, I don't have, you know, no one has a simple answer, but the equanimous mind, the balanced mind, the calm mind, uh, gives you the space and the time to get the information that you need to know what to do, what's wise. Also, if you, if the, the, the time and uh, the calm, equanimous mind that kind of makes space for uh, understanding what's there, also makes space for the other person to come forth. It's sometimes, sometimes it's easier for them to come forth and say, what's going on uh, if, um, if they feel like you're not coming with an agenda. So. Very helpful, thank you. Okay, so it's 12.30 and uh, it's a good time for our lunch, otherwise we won't be equanimous. <coughs> and um, so we'll take an hour for lunch, we'll start again at 1.30 and uh, those of you who haven't been here before for this, the people who do, have been here before know how to set up tables, set up tables in the outer hall here and chairs and sit around and you can talk for lunch. Um, if you feel like it's warm enough, you can welcome take a chair uh, at one of the tables and put it out in the parking lot and put chairs and sit up there in the sun if you'd like. And, um, and um, I ask you that perhaps it'd be nice a little bit uh, close to 1.30 if some of you would just tidy up a little bit. Uh, because sometimes crumbs in the kitchen get a little messy and so that uh, we clean up a little bit before we start at 1.30. Thank you. meditation. I'll offer you a little guided meditation to point to another aspect of equanimity. So begin this section of the meditation by familiarizing yourself further with your body. Perhaps as you exhale, you can settle into your body more, feel what is there. Notice what's parts of your body are most active or have the most sensations. what parts of your body have the least amount of sensations or maybe no sensations.
And then in the next few rounds of breathing, as you exhale, let go of whatever you're thinking about so you can better sense or feel your body without thinking about it, just sensing, opening to the experience of the body from the inside. Feeling the expanding and contracting movements of the torso as you breathe. And how different parts of ribcage, diaphragm, belly, back move at different times as you breathe in and out. As you feel your body, notice what sense, where in your body do you have the strongest sensations? They don't have to be that strong, but just qualifies as the strongest among what you have. And see if you can just gently, calmly, equanimously be present for a few breaths the strongest sensation in your body. And then look around and see what is the second strongest and the third strongest? What parts of your body are most awake with sensations, clear? The contact of your body against your chair or your cushion, your legs, movements of your chest. Your hands touching or on your 
legs. So there are areas in your body where the sensations are relatively strong, evident. There's also areas in your body where there's very little or maybe no sensations. the places in your body, your three-dimensional body, where there are no sensations. The sense of space between the sensations that are there. Can you get any sense? No, it's a little bit, it can be a little bit hard because it's, it's, can you get a sense of the place, the spaces in your body between the sensations that you have there? Maybe some parts of your body is more spacious than others. Just beyond the boundary of any sensation, there's usually space. certain way you can't have any sen- sensations don't exist without there being space around them just as you can't see an object without the light that's around it or you can't see an object in a room unless it's exposed with space around it notice the space in your body. And then see if you can become aware of the space that's just beyond the edges of your body. Outside your body, surrounding it, there's also space. Perhaps with a sense of the space around your body, the boundaries of your body are not distinct and sharp. without sharp, distinct boundaries to your body. 
there can be a continuity between the inner space and the outer space. There's lots of space here. As you exhale, see if you can let go of your thinking so you can better sense and feel the inner sense perception, the inner knowing of space, lots of space. And then see if you can feel your way, feel how the, the space that's around you has no outer boundary. The space that's around you extends outward. It's quite large. You sit here in a large field of space. You sit in a large field of space that extends inward and outward in a very huge way, just space. And one of the qualities of space is that it holds whatever is within it. It accepts and makes room for, it allows for anything that happens within a space. So in the same way, when you're aware of all the space that's here, can you allow like space within the space for whatever sensations you're having, feelings, thoughts, reactions you might have, Whatever is happening for you, every, it's all okay. Nothing to stop, nothing to let go of. Just to be aware of it in the great vast field of space. Whatever thought you have, whatever emotion you have, reaction you have. It can all be held in space, nothing to change or do away with. Just realize it within space, feel it within the great openness 
of awareness. See if you can feel your way into the how great space, spaciousness can be accepting of whatever is happening. Whatever arises and happens can happen peacefully within this great field of space. to end this sitting, you can take a few long, slow, deep breaths, feel your body, feel yourself sitting here on your chair, your cushion. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes.
I believe it's probably true for most people, most of the time, that our, when we look at something, our vision tends to notice things. We don't tend to notice the space between things as much. Certainly are times we're aware of, when we're aware of space, but you go into a room and you look for the chair to sit in, you look for the table, you look for the other people, you notice the things. But uh, there's also the space in the room, and that's a significant thing. And often maybe you don't think about it, but somehow you feel your way into it. If it feels crowded, you feel a certain way. And if you feel expansive, you feel a certain way. If, if there's only two of you in a big, very, very big room, and the other person insists, insists on sitting in the opposite side of the room from you, the space becomes really, you know, stands out in a certain way. Sometimes we become aware of the space, sometimes we don't. But I think generally we tend to focus on the things. And I think the same thing can happen in meditation where our attention often will focus on the objects of attention, things that we can pay attention to, like our breathing, sensations of breath, sensations of our body, our emotions, our thoughts, and things like that. And, um, and it's not so often that people become so clearly aware of space, the spaciousness as part of meditation. Uh, sometimes when the mind gets really concentrated and still, that stands out in the highlight, and so you can't help but to notice it. But there's always, just like there's always space in a room, and even if people aren't focusing on it, there's always space, spaciousness in the field of our perception of awareness. And um, I don't know if, how well some of you could, or how it worked for some of you to f- follow along with this guided meditation, um, to feel the space within, the space without. And... Um, but what I was trying to do in that is to, uh, if you could feel a very broad, expansive sense of spaciousness, to have the experience of equanimity or acceptance or non-reactivity where no matter what arose, even reactivity itself, it can be held in this really, really big field. So it's okay. It's, it's not a problem. Often things are a problem when we're claustrophobic. <laughs> and one of the one of the one asked, one way that meditation works is that it doesn't fix our problems; it puts our problems into a, a different context. And if you have this huge space, then um, sometimes things are not so oppressive or so difficult, and it's a lot easier to have equanimity. So this is a different way to get t- towards equanimity: is through a spacious mind, an open mind open, spacious awareness, open awareness. How was that for some of you? It would be nice to hear. So I I know you said to feel it. It's a little, it's it's not as natural for me. It worked a little better for me by visualizing it. Um, Does that work okay too, or is that not preferred? That's fine. I think generally if... if, uh, you know, we have to use our language and we use reference points. If, if, a, if a meditation instruction is, doesn't quite work for you because uh, you're welcome to ch- uh, change it and try to make it work. So if, it, if, if seeing it works better than feeling it, it's great. Okay, so just, just a quick follow-up question. I mean, just in general, uh, when I meditate, sometimes I felt like it's easier for me, for me to get grounded in my body. And this is just for me. <laughs> it might be a little weird, but uh, one, some, sometimes I get this image of like, you know, Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree. And for some reason, I just 
kind of helps me, you know, get a little more grounded. Is that okay too, or is that also, is it something that I should try to avoid? I think that uh, some people visualize easily. Some people find that visualization helps them get grounded, get focused, get them uh, get get here rather than wander off in your thoughts. I think that uh, it's a great tool to use visualization to kind of arrive to come. But for the purposes of mindfulness and vipassana, uh, once you've more or less come into the present moment with the aid of the visualization, then you want to let go of it. Because the visualization is just is, is an overlay, it's a thought, as opposed to the direct experience. So the emphasis in vipassana is direct experience. And so, but it's, you know, as a, as a little aid, it's fine. Thank you, that's helpful. So I'd like to hear about the meditations of Mother How was it? How was it as a lesson in equanimity? Did it work? Did it not work? For me, it was phenomenally powerful. Something that um, at least four or five days of retreat would take me there. <laughs> okay. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. It was very profound. In, um, <clears throat> in our uh, group, the first sharing that I um, shared was that um, when I'm feeling equanimous, sometimes it feels really expansive and that things can just flow through. And I'm not always able to tap into that. And this was one of the first meditations where I was able to actually tap into that feeling, which sometimes comes from retreat, from a few days on retreat, or maybe just arises naturally. And it was really... It's so interesting because the states that make me not equanimous tend to feel, yeah, very claustrophobic or rigid or small. And and so just that idea of even if that was actually happening, but still creating all this space, it would almost be looking at it like airily, you know, like, oh, well, that's really not that big of a deal because I'm up here now and that's small and puts it in perspective. Great. Thank you. I was wondering, was it a deliberate effort on your part to relate it to the jhanic state of infinite space, which comes after the fourth jhana equanimity? Is it, is it, was that intentional? Or no, it was not. The rest of you are still in space. Have you come back yet? Yes. Let's have giving us feedback. So maybe if we have only one of those on at a time, I don't know where, where it's coming from. Well, I hesitate to say anything because I earlier I was tired, cold, and hungry, and now I'm tired and cold. So <laughs> I, I don't I don't know that I was really sharp in terms of following everything that you said. Um, but what I did notice was a sluggishness. And for various reasons, I'm having some discomfort in my back. And at one point, I think you said something along the lines of to, to broaden our focus outward. I think you said there's infinite space around, um, beyond the room, I think is what you said. And to me, it felt um, kind of abstract. I wasn't quite sure like how to go, how to sort of do that. But I kind of did what I could. And I, I didn't feel that I was able to really enlarge those boundaries beyond this discomfort. But 
I hadn't really been particularly liking the discomfort. So I decided, okay, well, maybe that's what I should be doing is just being aware of that discomfort in kind of an accepting way. And so I still felt pretty contracted to use you know, that metaphor, but it seemed like I was more present with what was really occurring. Mm, nice. So yeah, maybe kind of it worked anyway. Yeah, yeah, good. On your way to equanimity. Thank you. So over here on the stage. Careful. It's a, a green light. Is it on now? It was the same for me as well. Um, I'm having some pain right now in my hip, and I am, I'm very anxious. I'm planning a big family event. I have 40 family members coming in town in two weeks, so my mind is very distracted, and I was hoping that I could settle by coming here today, and it's, it's very, very challenging. But what I found after the morning of sitting and talking is my heart beating very, very hard. And as opposed to just getting very upset by that and saying stop, I kind of accepted it and turned into it. And when you said, um, see if you can find an expansive part in your body, at first I was like, nothing's expansive. (laughs) (laughs) But I found that um, my chest was. And how interesting is that? I have this heart that's beating too fast in a very expansive cavity. So I don't know what to make of it. I just found it interesting. So, so, yeah, so, so one of the things you make of it is you focus on the sense of cavity more than you focus on the racing heart. Yeah. And what happens then? And then what can happen when you hold the sense of cavity, space, together with the racing hearts? As supposed to only focusing on the heart, there's an interface between those two. And, that, uh, and one of the advantages of that kind of attention is that it's, it's sometimes a little bit easier than not to be caught by what we're focusing on. Because you can pay a lot of mindful attention to something, still be caught, be in its grip. So when you get a sense of the cavity of space around it, sometimes it's easier to lighten up or loosen up around it. I had a couple of, I don't know if they were aha moments or duh moments. Uh, I went on retreat a number of years ago on, and it was a retreat on space. And so I really had the opportunity to sit in a spacious uh, environment within myself. And it has stuck with me ever since. And one of the things that happened today was I hadn't connected the inner space with the outer space. And that kind of was like, oh, wow, that's really cool because that ties me with everything. (laughs) So that was one of the aha, maybe da moments. Uh, The other one was just uh, realizing that spaciousness and equanimity are one and the same. I didn't connect those two before. So that was really cool, too. I think they can be one and the same. They don't have to be. They can be two, so they can be. 
And um, so one of the, so we'll end now with this part, but uh, building on what Catherine said. Um, one of the really cool things is to uh, get a sense of space, spaciousness, space, something, you get, get some established in it. And then you ask yourself this question. You ask yourself, are you inside the space or is the space inside of you? <coughs> and that, that can do it. Something interesting sometimes. Okay. Um, so we've been now here 45 minutes. Should we take a break? Before we do, the, we're going to do a group exercise that's going to take probably half an hour. Should we just go into the group exercise or should we take a break so that you have good bladders? <laughs> or, or you could... What? I, I don't know how the vote went. I heard all kinds of voices. Mostly break? Your hair break. Okay. You're hearing mostly exercise. Okay, so in that case, what we'll do is, is we're going to do the exercise, and then anybody who needs to go to the bathroom can, can slip out. And that works pretty well. Um, and... Um, so, um, so some of you have done this before. I've done this maybe once or twice over the last 10 years, this exercise. But we'll do it the way it's usually done and then we'll, I'll do a variation. And um, the, uh, there are seven conditions that support equanimity. So like, sometimes it's hard to be equanimous. But you can sometimes bring on or, or, or strengthen the conditions for being equanimous. And so if you can get those conditions going, then it's easier to be equanimous. So the seven conditions are, the first one is virtue. The more virtuous you are, the more integrity you have, the easier it is to carry yourself through, uh, through life with equanimity, without being, you know feeling you have to hide or feeling worried you can get caught or something. So virtue is one. The second is um, um, faith, trust or confidence. So I like the word faith. Some of you maybe don't like the word, but faith. If you have faith in something, if you have faith, for example, if you have faith that you have a practice to get you through difficult times in your life, then you can be more equanimous as you go into those difficulties. But if you don't have a clue what you're going to do, you have no, no tools at all for the difficulty, it's a lot easier to get kind of like, you know, concerned and worried, right? So if you have faith in something, if you have faith in some truth, some understanding, some practice, something. So faith can help, you know, with enough faith, you know, you can be equanimous in anything. The third condition is um, uh, a well-developed mind. So this is where the practice of concentration, the practice of being calm, um, developing inner strengths of different kinds, um, um, you know, develop, developing the good qualities of mind that we all have, but usually underdeveloped, developing those. And it's a little bit like going, you know, if you go work out in the gym sometimes, um, you know, you, you come out of the gym perhaps and you feel kind of, you feel this good energy and vitality coursing through you. You feel kind of big and large and whatever. 
And, you know, in some way can say you didn't like the color of your socks and, you know, it doesn't matter at all. You know, so it just washes right off. However, but if you're feeling really down and things are hard and, you know, and you feel, feel like much energy and you're slothful and you can't hardly manage and someone says, your socks. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Not that, too. So, so this inner strength, you know, you know, can uh, so having some some uh, well developed mind. Yes. Is that like wisdom? Not yet. <laughs> so the, um, the the fourth factor is uh, a sense of well being. So if you have some symptom to happiness, well being, joy, sometimes with happiness, you can all kinds of things can happen, and you can hold it more equanimously. Uh, the fourth, the uh, fifth, is to see things as they are. To have, um, no, no, actually, here, I'm sorry, sorry those writing, I apologize. The fifth is, is wisdom. Wisdom or understanding. Uh, if you have some under, good understanding or good wisdom about things, it's a lot easier sometimes not to get reactive to it. So, um, you know, if you've never been around kids before, and you have your, your first kid or something, and they kid goes from saying, I hate you, to will you marry me, in the course of 15 minutes, um, you know, you might think that's a big deal if you've never had that kid before, like, oh my God, there's a crisis. But, you know, then you know, kids, kids can do that, you know, just kind of like, they go through little swings and, you know, so you, you hold it much more lightly because you know, or if you know, for example, the unfortunate syndrome phenomena is that sometimes when people die, and some of the chemicals are going a little bit awry in the system, whatever, they can get very easily, can get uh, very angry at the people they feel closest to, that they love. And most hospice nurses and workers will tell the family, warn them that this might happen, and don't take it personally. Don't, don't assume this means really what you think it would mean. It just means that the chemicals are kind of doing funny things and they're not really themselves. And so to be told that wisdom, that understanding, can help the family then be equanimous in that situation. So then, so the fifth is wisdom or understanding. The sixth is um, insight. That's where we see deeply into things. And because we see the nature of it, we're not going to be caught. We're more balanced. And the seventh condition is freedom. To be free. Uh, and many of us, you know, many of you have some degree of freedom. We t- you tend to forget it very quickly because you, know, you go on to a better and more wonderful things to be stuck, stuck in. <laughs> but um, you know, probably most of you can remember when you were teenagers and there were things that you were really mm-hmm. caught up in and really important for you and the things that, you were, that no longer grab you anymore. And you're free now. And so if you, if you get a zit on your face now uh, or you know, if your hair is a little bit funny you know, you're still willing to go to school. <laughs> but at 13 or 14, I mean, you know, that's like, that means like devastating. So you have now some freedom around certain things that you didn't have before. So freedom then makes you more equanimous. You have a funny hair day. You know, it's okay. Not the worst thing that could happen to you. Um, so those seven, those are seven conditions. Okay? So what I'd like you to do is, uh, we'll do, I'll explain how we do it in a moment, but it's going to seven groups. And each group is going to be given one of these qualities, one of these conditions. And I want you to spend some time discussing in some detail 
how it is that this condition supports equanimity. So your ideas around it and things like that. So you got that part? Okay. And um, the second part of the exercise is so everyone, everyone has to kind of uh, be listening carefully to the conversation. And then the second part of the, of the exercise is that um, and then uh, uh, we're going to form new groups which has one representative of each of the previous groups. So each of the seven conditions is, is going to be represented in the new group. You understand that? So, and then, and then in the new group, um, you, each person is going to report some personalized take on a, a personalized summary, their own gist of it, of what, what was said in your first group around the, how this condition supports equanimity. I'll explain that again when we get to that time, but just so you know. So it's two halves. Okay? So, um, so I, think, I think what we should do is just count off one to seven. So, um, uh, do you want to, are you going to do Smita? Okay, so why don't you start? You still... One, two, three. So, <laughs> having a, some having some wisdom certainly helps in being equanimous. And one of the pieces of wisdom that's easy to forget is that um, Buddhist practice, the path, the exploration, takes longer than anticipated. <laughs> so we didn't cover as much as we were supposed to today. <laughs> so so uh, hopefully it was rich for you to do this, what we did. And... Um, and hopefully it gave you some, you know, one, one, of the, one of the things I hope these kinds of days uh, accomplishes is uh, to give you material for continued reflection. So when you leave here and during the week and other times, that you continue to reflect and think and wonder about these qualities, about yourself and relationship to them. And, and so if this has given you something to uh, contemplate and reflect and practice with, uh, that would be wonderful. The, the intention of this part of the of the, the focus on equanimity was to kind of just generally introduce the topic of equanimity, the the idea of a non-reactive mind, um, because it's an idea that some people find kind of foreign and also find a little bit disturbing or a little bit wor- worrisome, because of the fear of being aloof or indifferent or closed down or something else. The, um, and the other fear people have is that they're going to being equanimous means you're going to accept things that shouldn't be accepted. And um, and I like to distinguish between I think acceptance is a great practice, but the only acceptance which I think is kind of universally useful is um, is we learn how to accept anything and everything into our awareness without any contraction in the awareness, resistance in the awareness. So no matter how awful it is, how wrong it is, we have the capacity to let it come into our hearts, into our awareness, without seizing, closing down, getting afraid, just to stay that way. What we actually do about whatever the situation is, that's a whole different question. And, and uh, we might have to not accept it while we accept it into awareness. So the awareness doesn't flinch, but the hand says stop. <laughs> 
And uh, so making that distinction, I think, is very important because then it's easier to practice. So when, when, when Buddhist teachers talk about practicing acceptance, the way I translate it to, for myself is I translate it as being is a quality of, the, of awareness, a quality of the heart, where you're willing to be present for it without flinching, without contracting. But then we use, hopefully, our wisdom to know what we do with our hands, what we do with our speech, what we do, you know, things have to be done, right? Um, but this quality of a mind which doesn't f- contract, doesn't flinch, doesn't freeze, doesn't run away, doesn't get hot, doesn't get cold, um, is a very beautiful thing. It's really beautiful to have this capacity, this kind of mind. And so when we come into the Brahma-vihara exploration, it's remembering that this kind of mind, equanimous mind, and maintaining it and keeping it uh, in the context of our care for others, for our friendship for others, our love for others. And that's a whole other task. How do we do that in relationship to other people? And, um, and equanimity is said to be the most important of the Brahma-viharas when people are struggling, our friends, people are struggling, and there's nothing we can do to help them. So, there are t- uh, so certainly compassion is a little bit more there when you have some sense that you can help and care. Equanimity is, is the quality of, of uh, caring where in the caring we don't contract, we don't resist, we don't flinch. The awareness stays open. And we have the wisdom to know that we just have to let the situation be to some degree, the person be. And that's uh, uh, often quite challenging to believe that's the case and, our sense of responsibility, sense of, our sense of um, all kinds of things come into play where it seems like it's not okay to be equanimous when people are struggling. But, uh, but um, in order to for, they say, in order for compassion and love to be fully protected and really there has to be some capacity for equanimity there as well. Um, so I'll leave you, so next, next time we meet, which is the end of the month, I think the 30th of March, We'll have the last of these Brahma-viharas and then we'll spend much more time on the Brahma-vihara of equanimity itself. Do some of the equanimity meditation practices and um, explore some of the issues around having equanimity in our caring for others and what that looks like and how to do it. And, um, and uh, in the meantime, I'll give you um, kind of a homework preparation for next time. And that is... Um, one of the real big, one of the big movements, things that makes it really hard to have equanimity in relationship to other people, there's many things, but what I want to offer now here is a, a feeling responsible for other people. So the homework is to consider, to reflect, to talk to friends, to look at journal, to do whatever you can, and to try to uh, look at how how responsibility for others plays out for you. Some of you maybe are overly responsible for everything and everything. Anybody's well-being who's anywhere within 10 feet of you is completely up to you. <laughs> and that's, you know, you're, you know. And, and some people have, you know, you know, no responsibility. Like, you know, they're responsible for themselves and, you know, get off, get off my turf. And uh, so how do, you, how do you take the sense of the, the, being responsible for other people? How does that play out for you? What are your beliefs, your understandings? How does it work for you? Um, and, 
I think the, the more you can look at that over the next four, four weeks or so, uh, the richer it'll be when we come back to do the Brahma Vihara on equanimity. So um, I do have an article on the IMC website on uh, equanimity that uh, goes through these seven conditions for equanimity. So you probably got, got it in pretty well now. But if you want to read it again, learn more about it, it's on the article web, uh, page on the website. <clears throat>